his sinister sons. Welcome back to Sinister Sagas. We are your hosts. I'm Beth. I'm Skylar. And I'm Jesse. Welcome to the spooky side. Welcome. Okay, guys. On today's episode, Skylar has a really good true crime story. So we've been hearing. So excited. Beth has a creepy horror story. And I have a fun little supernatural story well i don't i don't know if i would say it's fun but it's does it involve creepy children no okay nothing i talk about will ever involve (laughs) creepy children i promise you it better not you know just for that i'm gonna purposely find a creepy kid story i know you will (laughs) okay um what that being said let's just get into it and i am going first so today i'm going to talk to you guys about a little place called casey moore's oyster house in temp arizona it's now a restaurant called casey moore's uh, oyster house but it was built in 1910 And it was the family home of William and Mary Moore. And it is now known as one of the most haunted locations in Arizona. William was a prominent member of Temp's early educational system. Uh, He was a member of the first school board there. He died in 1929 due to a cerebral hemorrhage by the fireplace in their home. And Mary died in an upstairs bedroom from natural causes in the 1940s. After their deaths, William and Mary's home was said to become a bordello. Anybody know what that is? Hell not. Nope. (laughs) It's a brothel. Um, And it was said to be filled with parties, um, sexual assault, suicides, drugs, and murders. In 1973, the building was turned into a restaurant called Ninth and Ash, and then it was sold in 1986 to become Casey Moore's Oyster House. It's said that neighbors have witnessed spirits dancing in the upstairs room window around 4 a.m., and locals believe it is William and Mary. A faint glow can be seen in the window. Police have investigated this, and they have found no logical reason for the light. Which they is creepy. Yes, they do. Salt. <laughs> Forks have been known to fly off of tables and tables, chairs, and settings on the tables that have been arranged in the evening are moved when staff arrives in the morning. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, spirits from the building's brothel days seem to have stayed as well. Customers and staff have said to experience paintings falling and lamps moving with no explanation. Apparently, there is a spirit of a young woman with light eyes and dark hair, and she has been seen a lot. Allegedly, she was murdered by an acquaintance 
in the brothel days. And it said that she watches you until you meet her eyes and then she disappears. I think I would cry. Casey Morris has been voted best bar for conversation and is very popular with local college students. Of course it is. Of course, yeah. College kids always looking for a quick fix to get fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I thought that was a neat little story. It was short. I know, but... That's even shorter than the one I had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> short. But I couldn't find a lot of, like, information on spooky places in Arizona. There wasn't much. I mean, there ain't shit to do out in Arizona anyway. It's flat and dry. Yeah. So. All right. I'm going to hand it over to Beth to do our horror story. All right. My spooky story is honestly pretty creepy. It's called Don't Eat the Seeds. I found it on the Apple Books thing. I already do not like this. <laughs> <laughs> Some, it's creepy. It's some creepy. jolly green giant just gonna fucking pop out. Not quite, but God, you'll see. Oh my god! All right. So Allison had told Brady not to eat the seeds of the orange, but did he listen to her? No. I'm telling you, Brady. She told him as he crunched and swallowed the seeds down with the rest of the juicy inside of the orange fruits. You keep eating the seeds, and one day an orange tree will grow out of you. As if Brady said back with a harsh laugh. Allison looked at him warily. She did not want to see that boy turn into a tree. Where do you think that orange you're eating came from, Brady? Allison told him as he gobbled down another slice from a foolish kid just like you who is now a tree. No, Brady yelled back defiantly and Judy rolled her eyes, giving up. It wasn't until that night that Brady heard a rumble in his stomach. He ran to the bathroom to puke, but all that had shot out of his mouth was leaves. He coughed, baffled. He was turning into a tree. He needed Allison's help. He ran out of his house to Allison's down the street, feeling branches shooting from his fingers and causing him agonizing grief. <laughs> I told you guys, it's creepy. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> As he ran towards Allison's house, he saw her just swinging on a tire on a tree in front, smiling to herself in the night. Allison, he beckoned. She blinked up, grinning at him as he fell before her and begged, You were right. You were right. Help me. I don't want to be a tree. It's your own fault, Allison told him straight out. He looked at her, astonished at her reply. She got off the wheel and waved for him to follow as she continued, But I know how to fix it. Follow me. He ran after her, coughing out leaves the whole time till he saw the orange tree in the back where he had snuck an orange one time. He saw a dug-up pit and found it hard to move as he felt roots coming out of his toes. Over here, Allison said, waving him to the pit, and he ran over. Suddenly, she pushed him into the hole, and he looked at her shocked, sap running down his cheeks in replacement of tears. Why did you do that? Bad little children deserve a grave like yours. He looked at her in horror, but it was too late. The roots from his toes suddenly clawed out of his shoes and dug into the ground. He felt his body tear apart as the tree shot out into the air and spread its leaves and fruit. Allison grinned, picking up a stick from the ground. She waved it around her and in a second turned back into her adult form, a witch. The next day, in her ten-year-old disguise, called the children of the street over to taste the new fruit of the tree she had in her backyard. As the kids broke open the oranges, they saw it was red inside and, and gagged at the sight. It's blood, they screamed, and she reassured them, no, just blood oranges, a kind of fruit, try it and see. They tasted it warily, but loved the taste and grinned with red juice all over their teeth. Mmm, delicious. Blood oranges, now you know the truth. No, ma'am. <laughs> what? 
Yeah. I am in disbelief. Yeah. It's like when we got told as kids, if you ate the watermelon seed, you were going to grow a watermelon. Yeah. yeah. Well, be pregnant with a watermelon. Fuck. Yeah, it yeah that story was way creepier than the watermelon story we heard as kids. Jesus Christ. Right, it's like an extension blood. of that story, but like with oranges. Mm. Blood oranges. Yeah, blood oranges. I don't ever want to eat a blood orange now. I've never actually had one. Me either. And I don't think I'm ever going <laughs> yeah, to. Right. Every I time I do. God. Lord have mercy, child. Wow. All right. That might just be as good as Johnny from last week. Yeah. 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 I would say. Ugh. Yeah, I read that and I was like, what the fuck? So now it's Skylar's turn with the true crime. All right. So this week I am going to be talking about Robert William Fisher. He was born April 13th, 1961 in Brooklyn, New York to Jan Howell and William Fisher. He was 62 years old at the time of all of this. He had two siblings. He married Mary Fisher in 1987 and had two kids, Brittany Fisher and Robert Jr. Another Robert, eh? Didn't you talk about a Robert last week? Did we have a Robert? Yeah. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah, his name was Robert Hansen. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well. Um, his parents divorced when he was 15. That event is believed to play a role in almost everything that is going to be talked about today. After his parents divorced, Robert and his two sisters moved to Arizona with his dad, and according to friends and relatives, the divorce was turbulent and had long-lasting effects on Robert. Robert's friends called him bitter. Fisher spoke briefly about his parents' separation to his co-workers at the Mayo Clinic Hospital prior to the crime that he had committed. Yeah, that sounds like a recipe for disaster. Oh, it is. Oh, God. Didn't find much on like his full childhood, but his adult life, he enlisted in the United States Navy and attempted to become a part of the SEALs, but was unsuccessful. He was an avid outdoorsman, hunter, and fisherman. He was a firefighter in California, but was forced to retire after a back injury. Once he retired from being a firefighter, he moved back to Arizona and started working in the medical field, where he was a surgical technician and a respiratory therapist. This can't be good. <laughs> um, in the late 1980s, he also did some work as a weed sprayer. And a man that employed him recalled that he was a quiet man that suffered severe back pain, but was a good employee. They always are. Once again, Mary Cooper was his wife. They, well, Mary Fisher, made name Cooper. Um, they got married in 1987. He was described... Fisher was as a cruel and distant control freak towards his family. Robert and Mary fought about sex and money um, due to Mary taking a job that she told friends was a security fund. One example of the cruelty that Fisher would do to his family is he turned the water hose on Mary after he perceived her to have spoken out of turn. Oh, hell no. Robert was embarrassed that his son Bobby didn't like to hunt or fish, and he tried to teach Bobby 
and Brittany to swim by throwing them off of a boat. I hate that. He would not allow the walls of the house to be painted in anything other than white with very little pictures to be that were allowed to be hung up. Um, Mary did like made quilts and she was not allowed to display that work anywhere in the house. Wow. That's sad. Robert's friends noticed that he would exhibit disturbing behavior during hunting. An example of that is after killing an elk, he smeared the blood on his face. Unsanitary. He snuck up on a family that was picnicking and decided to empty his entire gun clip into the air right behind them. Are you fucking kidding me? I wish I was. Um, He was an active participant in the Scottsdale Baptist Church men's ministry. In 1998, when he, I'm assuming, was at work, it didn't really specify he spoke about suicide over the condition of his marriage. Robert and Mary tried to go to the senior pastor for marriage counseling. I'm assuming that that didn't work. Also in 1998, Fisher was bragging to co-workers about a one-night affair that he had with a sex worker that he met at a massage parlor. He was scared that Mary would find out and that it was the cause of a UTI that left him ill for several days in December of 2000. So my thing is, if it happened in 1998, why are you getting sick with a UTI two years later? Because that is the only confirmed affair that is out there. Yeah, the, the math ain't mathin'. Facts. The math sure as shit ain't mathin'. Wow. There were multiple reports of domestic violence, though. Of course. There always is. Yeah. On to the juicy de- details of everything. A neighbor reported hearing a loud argument coming from inside of the Fisher's home at 10 p.m. on April 9th, 2001. Oh, so this is more recent. If you can call 21 years ago recent. Well. 22. 22. 22. I can't math. I'm just going to throw this note in there. This was approximately 10 hours before the crime actually happened. When this phone call was made to, I guess, the police. Police theorized that the crime happened between the hours of 9.30 p.m. and 10.15 p.m. Because at 10.43 p.m., Fisher was spotted on an ATM camera where he withdrew $280. Mary's Toyota 4Runner was in the background. It is possible that Fisher later returned to the house to commit the murders, but police believed that they had already happened. Mary was shot in the back of the head. Brittany and Bobby's throats were slashed from ear to ear. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. 8.42 a.m., the house exploded. <laughs> exploded? Exploded. Firefighters were immediately alerted. The explosion was so strong that it was enough to collapse the front brick wall and rattle frames of neighboring houses for a half of a mile. Oh my god. Holy shit. (laughs) Before firefighters arrived, the neighbors tried to keep it under control with just plain garden hoses. Damn. The firefighters were able to keep the 20-foot flames from spreading to the other houses. So 20-feet flames. Like, the shit literally exploded. What did he use? What happened? There was a series of smaller explosions that had happened, believed to possibly be ammunition or paint can paint cans. Mm. One firefighter was injured by falling near the blaze. 
Um, his leg got a little bit burnt. So once they started looking around, they realized that the gas line from the back of the home's furnace had been pulled. So they were assuming that like the accumulating gas was later ignited by a candle. This delayed fuse gave Fisher an approximate 10-hour head start to evade law enforcement. Wow. It's believed that the explosion was to cover up the fact that he had shot and slashed the throats of his wife and children. And to possibly make police believe that he had died too. Yeah. I could see that. Once the fire had settled within the burned remains, there were three bodies, of course. One woman identified as 38-year-old Mary Fisher. Two children identified as 12-year-old Brittany Fisher and 10-year-old Bobby Fisher. God, that's so sad. Investigators believed that Robert murdered his family because he felt threatened by Mary's intentions to divorce him. And he did not want Bobby and Brittany to go through what he did as a child. So, obviously, murder is the option. I guess so. God. Now the fun investigation part. Now this is where it gets interesting because, like I said, he had a 12-hour head start on cops. A 10-hour head start on cops. So, crime happened April 9th and then April 10th. The explosion happened. Robert was named a person of interest on April 14th, 2001. Arizona Department of Public Safety officers were instructed in a statewide bulletin to arrest him. Little less than a week later, on April 20th, 2001, the last bit of physical evidence of Fisher's whereabouts surfaced. Police found that Toyota 4Runner that was seen in the background of the ATM footage in Tonto National Forest near Young, Arizona. It's about 100 miles north of Scottsdale. Damn. The family dog, Blue, was found outside of the car, where police did take Blue to a shelter. So, thankful that the doggy was safe. Yeah. Um, an Oakland Raiders hat was found also, um, and it was the same one that Robert was also wearing in the ATM footage. Police searched the area where the vehicle was found. Um, apparently, there's dozens of caves in that area, but they only searched one due to the fact that some of the caves have a complex underground network extending for miles beneath the surface. Professional cavers suggested that Fisher used them as a hiding place before either escaping, killing himself, or dying from low oxygen levels. Wait, so they didn't find him, or they found him? I'm getting there. Okay, sorry. I'm getting there. I'm jumping the gun. Jumping the gun. (laughs) Cavers have visited the caves over the years and still have no signs of him. And then less than a mile from where the car was found is the Fort Apache Indian Reservation that police never searched. But there is a set of footprints that led up to the reservation. The gears in my head are turning. A couple reported seeing a man that looked like Fisher walking along the nearby Young Road several days before the car was found. But they did not say anything until after the car was found. July 19th, state... Arrest warrant was issued in Phoenix, Arizona, and Fisher was charged with three counts of first-degree murder and one count of arson within that arrest warrant. He was declared a fugitive, and a federal warrant was issued by the United States District Court for the District of Arizona, also charging him with unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. June 29, 2002, Fisher was named 
the 475th fugitive by the FBI to be placed on the top 10 most wanted list. Holy shit. He was also on America's Most Wanted, Dirty Dozen. Damn. The FBI offers a reward up to $100,000 for the arrest of Robert Fisher. By April of 2003, there were hundreds of sightings and tips. However, they were all found inconclusive or false. February 2004, a man that looked like Fisher was arrested in Vancouver, Canada. Fisher was positively, positively, he was identified by a family member um, after being held for one week. But the problem with that is when they ran fingerprints when Vancouver, the Vancouver police got him, they did not match Fisher. So the detective on the entire case, John Kirkham, thought they might have been altered because, you know, that is possible. Yeah. But there was no scarring to support that. But they felt like they had him because one of the two, he had like a gold something on his tooth that was missing. He had the same scar from like a surgery. So they thought that they had got him. The FBI alerted local law enforcement that he was possibly living near where Mary's car was found. This was in 2012. Jesus. That's a big jump in October. Yeah. October 2014, police in Commerce City, Colorado, raided a house after receiving a tip that he was there. April of 2016, FBI officials and Scottsdale police released an age-enhanced photo on the 15th anniversary of the murders. And on November 3rd, 2021, Fisher was removed from the top 10 most wanted list. Still to this day, Fisher is a wanted fugitive. So this motherfucker could still be out there somewhere. If there's all those caves. He's on that reservation, I bet you. Why did they not search it? I think the thing with, like, reservations is that with them being protected, it's hard to fight getting a search warrant for a protected reservation. That is insane. The fact that, you know, he is still to this day a wanted fugitive. Wow. I can't believe they never found him. I mean, a 10-hour head start. I mean. True. I mean, the last known guaranteed spot they could find him is 100 miles north of where everything happened. And that, to me, is insane. That Yeah, a 10-hour head start in a state like that. You could go anywhere. Right, with it being so flat and everything, I mean... Yeah. Because, let's see, let's see. All right, so from Scottsdale, Arizona to Young, Arizona, where... The last confirmed physical evidence was found is only a two-hour and 41-minute drive. So, yeah, he went somewhere and hid, obviously, very well. Very well. Yeah. Unless, like they said, that he died in the caves. I mean, it very well could be, but professional cavers have been in and out of every single cave almost down, like, every single cave down there and have no signs, no bones, nothing. That's crazy. So the only possible way would be the Indian reservation. Yeah. Or he waited out the cops and just left the state. We'll never know. Fake IDs and shit. I don't know. That was a crazy case. (laughs) I like cases that make you think, where the fuck is he? Right. And is that $100,000 reward still available? I mean, if he is. Because I'll go undercover to that fucking Indian reservation, bitch. Same. 
if he is living on the reservation, wouldn't the people in the reservation, like... Unless he twisted the story. Maybe. That or, you know, do they pay attention to the news? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm not very familiar with all of that kind of stuff. So it's like... Yeah. So do they have, like, news and everything like that? So going to go ahead and pass it on back to Beth for our quote of the week. Someone once told her that the stars were merely summing pins holding the black sky up so that it did not come down and suffocate it. And Alma Katsu said that. Very nice. Yeah, I like that. Me too. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. All right. So next week we will be covering the state of Arkansas. She had to think about it. I, I did. I had to sing the 50 Nifty song. Um, so Beth will be covering our true crime next week. Yes. Jesse will be doing our horror story. Yeah. And I will be covering our supernatural case for the state of Arkansas. Why is it not Arkansas? You what is this Arkansas? <sighs> I'm just going to call it Arkansas. Arkansas. <laughs> we don't know, Beth. We didn't make the names of the fucking states, bro. We should. Bitch. <laughs> she doesn't even She's... have a good comeback. The states have been named for centuries. We can't just go and be changing them now. <laughs> the fuck? Says who? History. <laughs> <laughs> who though bitch i don't know who named the states okay on that note catch you on the other side bitches later bridges. bitches <laughs> <laughs>